trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is the place. This is where we gather to revel in wrong think. And my ultimate goal here is just not to tell people what to think. I I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't I don't have enough insight into your life and what matters to you to tell you this is what you need to think. But I do know for a fact there are people out there who are determined to make themselves unplayable pieces on that big chessboard of life simply because there are a lot of folks, Klaus Schwab and company that are doing their best to move the rest of us around like a bunch of pawns in a game. My goal is to help equip you with the tools needed to see through that manipulation and to resist it wherever possible. Now, I'm helped in this endeavor on a daily basis by great sponsors like HSLAmmo.com, also MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and also GarageDoorProServices.com. That's the Garage Door Pros. If you have the uh, inclination to let these folks know that you appreciate what I'm doing here, please visit the sponsor links at the bottom of my show notes. You'll find them at thebrianheidshow.com. Just click on the link. It'll take you right to their website. That's where you can figure out how to get in touch with them, or better still, do business with them, because that would be a good thing too. So I'm going to start out with kind of an interesting quote today. I don't even know where this came from. I just saw this uh, posted, kind of a screen grab that somebody had shared on Twitter. But it spoke to me because I think it accurately describes the situation that we find ourselves in. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can see that this is going to make some people feel uncomfortable because it, it uses the word anarchy. It talks about disobedience. But I hope you'll take this in the spirit that it's intended and realize this is the kind of situation we find ourselves in today. You ready for this? All right. One day you will be called on to break a big law in the name of justice and rationality. Everything will depend on it. You have to be ready. How are you going to prepare for that day when it really matters? Well, you have to stay in shape so that when the big day comes, you'll be ready. What you need is anarchist calisthenics. Every day or so, break some trivial law that makes no sense, even if it's only jaywalking. Use your own head to judge whether a law is just or reasonable. That way, you'll keep trim, and when the big day comes, you'll be ready. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about something here, and I don't think this this quote is urging, go do something reckless and stupid that will harm other people. But what it's suggesting is use your head, use your conscience, and then apply that. I'll give you the example that I like to use, and, and please, you know, if you want to condemn me for this, I guess I deserve it. But I I live a couple of miles from a, a truck stop. And so sometimes in the wee hours of the morning when I'm getting up and doing show prep, I will uh, get up and I'll run down to the truck stop and get me some caffeine to, to get me, uh, you know, kick in the seat of the pants to get my day started. For some reason, the the traffic lights that are set up here at this, this truck stop. I don't know what it is, but basically, if they see you coming, they're going to change and make you stop. And then they sit there, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. 
Now, keeping in mind, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. This is a fairly rural area, so there are times when there is just no traffic coming. And so part of my anarchist calisthenics is I will pull up to that light. I will come to a complete stop. I will look both ways and ascertain whether it is safe to go. And if it is, guess what I do? Yeah, I drive right through that red light and I proceed on my way after having ascertained that it's safe to do so. Now, I don't want you to think, well, gee, that law breaking comes pretty easy to you, but it uh, it takes some effort to, to be able to do something like that. And consciously, you know, you're looking around, okay, are there any cops watching for me? I'm just practicing keeping my my flexibility, keeping myself conditioned to using my own head. And this is one small way to do it. And, and notice, I'm not advocating do something that's going to harm anybody. But I'll tell you a test that you can try, and this is a really tough one. In fact, you'll be shocked at how difficult it is to do this. Find a place with a four-way stop out in the country somewhere, but where you can see very clearly all directions. Okay, I don't want you to put lives at risk. But drive out there sometime, and when you have ascertained, okay, there's nobody out here, there's nobody coming, and I mean really, Confirm there's nobody coming. Run that stop sign. It's hard. It's hard. You can't, you're, you're going to struggle to make yourself break that traffic rule. Even when you can clearly see there is nobody coming for any, you know, any, you know, noticeable distance. But that's, uh, that's one of those ways you can test and see how conditioned am I to just, well, that's, you know, got to obey. Now, again, I got to emphasize, I'm not, I'm not telling you, be reckless, go put people in danger. But I'm suggesting there are times where some trivial law may not make sense. And, and jaywalking is probably the best example. You know, I know it's safer to go to the, to the crosswalk. I grump at people that don't use crosswalks myself. But I would rather see somebody using their own head to judge whether a law is reasonable or not. And to, to understand that your conscience is a very reliable guide. And I think that to the possibility of one day being called on to break a big law in the name of justice and rationality, it's very, very high. In fact, I think the the chances of that happening go up in direct proportion to the amount of tyranny that we see descending on us at any given time. I think about the people who hid uh, Anne Frank the people who hid Corey Ten Boom and her family when they were under Nazi occupation. You know, and, and I think Corey Ten Boom and her family actually broke the law because they helped keep Jewish people hidden from Nazi authorities. Now, technically, the people who hid Anne Frank and uh, Corey Ten Boom and her family, they were criminals because the law very clearly said, you must turn in all Jews. But I'm certainly not convinced that they were on the wrong side of that moral equation. I think they did the right thing, even though it ended up with all of them eventually being sent to concentration camps. Now, that's a pretty extreme example. But I think we kid ourselves when we, when we pretend, well, that kind of thing could never happen here. It's, uh, it's coming. 
In fact, what's coming may be worse than what uh, even the Third Reich was able to visit on people, simply because of the technology that exists to keep tabs on people and, and keep them locked down. I mean, for crying out loud, look at what was done to us in the name of, well, we're protecting you from COVID, and this is why we're locking you down. And in some nations, not only locking them down, but forcing people, you will respond to your cell phone within 10 minutes, or you will face a fine, or you will face criminal prosecution. Countries like like New Zealand and like Australia, they literally were taking people away and putting them in camps. So if you want to be someone who is, is not just going along and not just, well, I guess there's nothing I can do. If you want to be the kind of person who is uh, worthy of your freedom, you've got to be prepared for that day when you may have to break a law in the name of justice and rationality. I'll give you another example. Oh, my goodness, we've got this escaped slave passing through. Do we help him, you know, and hide him from the slave catchers? Or do we take him down to the sheriff and turn him in because that's what you do when when you're obeying the law? And I realize for my LDS listeners, this is going to create a little bit of a, a, a problem because, you know, that whole 12th article of faith, we believe in honoring, obeying, and sustaining the law and being subject to kings and rulers and so forth. Again, conscience is a very good guide. And uh, I, I really don't believe that a person who follows their conscience is going to stand condemned before God at the last day when their conscience was in conflict with some earthly dictate that nonetheless was based in wickedness. So I realize that's kind of a radical way to get things started today. So, you know, if, if, if you were just tuning in for the first time, you know, let's, let's see what this Brian fellow is all about and <laughs> what's, what's he advocating here? You're, you're probably going, uh, <laughs> slowly backing towards the exit. I wouldn't blame you. This is not a, a position that I've arrived at, you know, very easily. I'm, I am a reluctant anarchist in the same way that Joseph Sobran was a reluctant anarchist in that it's not a matter of, yeah, I want, uh, I want no rules whatsoever, but I have come to the conclusion that uh, other than God himself, I do not need a ruler. I will rule myself and I will do it as best I can with my understanding that I am accountable before God for the decisions that I make. But I don't like where we're going right now where everybody has to be a ruler and be ruled. And, you know, if you if you deviate in any respect, somehow you're very suspect and, you know, probably deserve to be sitting in a jail cell. So you can check out this quote in its entirety. It's on my show notes page. Go to thebrianheidshow.com, pull up the show notes for July 20th, 2022. And then start practicing some of those anarchist calisthenics. Break some trivial laws that make no sense and use your head to judge whether a law is just or reasonable. And when the big day comes, you'll be in good shape. At least you'll be acquainted with your conscience. And that's probably the biggest part of the equation. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to give a shout out here to HSLAmmo.com. That would be my friend Spencer Worthington and his marvelous ammo company. If you're looking for new and remanufactured ammunition, I'm talking high-quality ammo at a very reasonable price. HSLAmmo.com is the place you need to go. So check him out. 
Let him know that his message is reaching your ears. Well, I thought maybe we could talk for a moment here about how so much of politics really comes down to simply negotiation of, well, how much should your rights be violated by whomever's in power? And really, that's what it comes down to in many cases is people just argue, well, should we violate them this far or should we take them this far? And and nobody stops to ask, well, should we be violating those rights in the first place? I thought I'd share an article from David Bell. This is from the Brownstone Institute's website, brownstone.org. Are we free by right or not? He says the COVID-19 response has raised questions regarding freedom in Western societies that we thought a few years ago were settled. Is freedom something we are allowed or granted? Or is it something we're born with which can only therefore be removed? What is the status now or in the future of a child born into slavery or a child born into a camp in Xinjiang or North Korea or a child born into a digitized, centrally managed society of some future Western dystopia? David Bell says the temptation through COVID-19 has been to use science or evidence to oppose the removal of our rights. Why should a college student be subject to a vaccine mandate if they already have post-infection immunity? Or an unvaccinated person have travel restricted when the vaccinated have higher infection rates? Such approaches are tempting to embrace as they're based on logic and thus hard to refute. But they serve those who would remove freedom by reinforcing the fundamental requirements they need to justify their tyranny. They reinforce the tyrant's requirement that freedom is granted based on actions or status, not the simple reality of one's birth. So we are free or we are not. Science and logic cannot be the arbiters of that freedom. Kind of an interesting way to put it. Now, David Bell's point here is that the COVID-19 crisis should awaken, not enslave us. He says COVID-19 vaccine mandates have highlighted society's creeping acceptance of anchoring basic human rights to medical status. Like many public health physicians, he says, I accepted, even supported mandating measles vaccination for school entry. Measles does, after all, kill many globally. He says, I was also fine with a hepatitis B vaccination for my workplace. Both vaccines are generally considered safe and very effective in blocking the target disease. And he says, my medical training emphasized that those who were anti-vaccination were equivalent to flat earthers. Now, David Bell says the COVID-19 public health response stepped this up, requiring vaccinations, I'm sorry, injections as a prerequisite, both for adults and children to participate in normal community activities. Vaccination status governed access to rights considered fundamental under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, including the right to work, travel, socialize, and access education. It's even determined the right to access health care. Medical coercion has emerged from the shadows into the mainstream of public health. Now, he says the vaccine mandates have been fought with logic, demonstrating the sheer absurdity of a general mandate for a disease that targets a well-defined population group, that being old age and comorbidities, that does nothing to stop the spread, in other words, no protection for others, and against which most are already better protected by natural immunity. Now, these are easy arguments to make, but he says on the back of such evidence and logic, the movement opposing COVID-19 vaccine mandates spanning truckers, restaurateurs, hospital employees, and politicians has made some inroads in rolling back mandates. But he says progress is fragile as authorities elsewhere seek to strengthen and widen mandates and entrench the international pandemic preparedness industry that seeks to perpetuate coercion in public health. 
The frequency of mandates in educational institutions should tell us something deeper than illogic and anti-science underlies this movement. So he says, small tactical victories based on logic will not win a war. If health fascism is to be dealt with, as was the Nazism of a previous era, era rather, highlighting particular logical flaws isn't going to be enough. Nazism was not sidelined because of illogic, but because it was perceived as fundamentally wrong. It was wrong because it did not treat all people equally, and it put central authority and a perceived collective good above the rights and equality of individuals. And this is the hill on which we must stand if we are to block the use of public health as a tool to enforce the corporate authoritarian society envisioned by the adherents of the Great Reset. Now, David Bell says this is a fight that goes beyond public health. It concerns the fundamental status of the human condition. It must deny unequivocally the right of one group to control and abuse another. I do not have the right to mandate a high-risk, non-immune, diabetic 80-year-old to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Neither do you. And then he reminds us that freedom is a birthright, not a reward. If we acknowledge that all humans are born free and equal in dignity and rights, this is Article 1 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and that there's something intrinsically valuable about being human, well, then certain consequences must follow. Attempts were made to reflect these in the flawed declarations on human rights developed after World War II and the earlier Geneva Convention. They're reflected in many religious beliefs, but not exclusive to them. This view considers every human to be of intrinsic, equal, immeasurable, and independent worth. Now, as an alternate approach, Nazism demonstrated how the justification of coercion and restriction based on a perceived common good rapidly eroded society. The road to genocide was paved by doctors, using public health as a veil for self-interest, fear, and an ability to hate. Common good approaches view humans, or uh, all or some, as mere lumps of biology based around a complex series of chemical reactions. So an individual has no fundamental rights, no fundamental worth, apart from the crowd. The future of the individual only makes sense where it benefits the whole. There is no fundamental right or wrong from the aside from the dictates of those deciding the future of the crowd. Picking some middle ground between the two, humans are a little bit special but can be devalued when convenient, and the question is convenient to whom, that doesn't stand up well to deeper thought. Fundamental worth cannot be restricted by decisions made within time and space. David Bell says, Genuine equality leads to the concept of bodily autonomy. I cannot override you on matters concerning you. If humans have sovereignty over their own bodies, then they cannot be forced to modify that body or have it violated by others. Coercion involves threats to remove basic rights that autonomy and sovereignty provide, and it's therefore a form of force. It seeks to remove a birthright, a part of our being, if we believe that as humans we were born with such intrinsic rights. Such rights and freedoms mark us as more than a biological mass, never the chattels of others or the crowd. This is why we, re we require free and informed consent for medical procedures where a person is in any way capable of providing it. In consequence, freedom cannot be conditional on medical status or choice of medical procedure. If we are intrinsically free beings, we do not acquire freedom through compliance. Fundamental rights cannot therefore be restricted based on medical status like natural immunity or choice of intervention like testing or non-intervention. The production of such stigma and discrimination is contrary to recognition of these rights. 
Now, he does point out that freedom has a cost. And I'll let you discover the rest of this article for yourself. But the bottom line here is uh, Dr. Bell says, Sometimes respecting the freedom of others will cost us. The majority may need to swallow a risk for a time. Codifying the process, legalism, and the law that expresses fundamental intrinsic human worth gives wisdom time to overcome fear. It's the insurance that keeps members of a free society free. Insurance is the inescapable recurrent cost that protects from the occasional occasional rather, but inevitable catastrophe. Enslavement in a medico-fascist society could become a catastrophe with no exit. And so he says in opposing it, no quarter should be given. I don't know, that seemed like a really timely message to me. There's a lot more to his article. I'll include it in the show notes. Check him out at thebrianhideshow.com. Hey, look down at the bottom of the page while you're there. You'll see a big subscribe button. Share your email with me. And I'll drop a copy of my show notes right into your email inbox every single day that I do this show, free of charge. And I will not share your email with anyone. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to sing the praises of Garage Door Pros. This is particularly for my listeners in St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. This is your local company who can install, service, and repair garage doors for you, doors that are made in America. And here's what they can do for you that others can't. They can give you a very quick response, a much faster lead time than other companies can give you. In fact, if you look at their website, which is garagedoorproservices.com, check out what their customers are saying. Look at the testimonials that people are giving. I see a lot of people saying, you know, these guys not only showed up on time, but they stayed and got the job done. They went the extra mile to make sure that I was taken care of. Really, they understand how important it is to take care of you. And they offer, again, American-made garage doors, insulated garage doors. They do commercial service as well as residential. Now, you can call them at 435-525-2773 or go to the link I provide in my show notes, garagedoorproservices.com. Let them know you appreciate them sponsoring the program. Well, I don't think there's anything that illustrates the moral bankruptcy of gun control advocates like their sourpuss reactions to a 22-year-old common citizen single-handedly stopping a mass shooter. Maybe you heard about this in Greenwood, Illinois, or not Illinois, Indiana, rather. But uh, the more I hear about this story, the more I am impressed, especially after the police stepped up yesterday and said, hey, I know we made a comment that uh, when the shooting started, it was about two minutes after the shooting started, that uh, this 22-year-old man stepped forward and uh, with his legally carried weapon, put down the mass shooter. They came back yesterday and said, we want to clarify, we made a mistake in sharing that timeline. It was actually 15 seconds. And when you think about this, in the term, my friends who, who are, are shooters will understand. 15 seconds to observe and orient to the threat and then decide how to take action. And by taking action, he was 40 yards away from the assailant who was sitting there killing people right in front of him. In that 15 seconds... He got his his uh, pistol unholstered, got to cover, and started to shoot at the gunman and landed eight out of ten shots 
on this gunman, putting him down and saving lives. Now, I don't want to make it sound like, wow, killing people is really cool. That's a horrible thing. But it was a necessary thing, and I don't think we can overlook the fact that it saved lives. This is something I've actually been very grateful to see law enforcement there in Illinois, or I'm sorry, Indiana. Sorry, Illinois has a much different uh, take on this. They, they probably would be looking to file charges against the guy who saved the day. But these Indiana officials are like, no, there's no doubt. This guy saved the day. In fact, they call him a good Samaritan. And, and of course, this is causing some real heartburn on the political left. Why, a good Samaritan? A good Samaritan would have bound up his wounds and taken him and put him up on his own dime. And, uh, okay, they, they want to quibble. As if they're going to believe the Bible in the first place. They probably think it's just a, another book full of myths, but... Anyway, D. Parker, writing for AmericanThinker.com, says leftists can't deal with the fact that guns save lives. D. Parker says anti-liberty leftists are missing the point entirely when complaining that Greenwood Good Samaritan, the Goodwin, the Greenwood Good Samaritan, violated their nonsensical gun-free zone rules. Apparently, the mall has uh, kind of a blanket thing: no weapons allowed. Now, D. Parker says, does anyone want to guess why the mass-murdering miscreant chose that place to make a name for himself? Could it be like many other murderers? It chose a massacre zone, a place that deprives the innocent of their God-given right of self-defense? See, for some strange reason, anti-liberty leftists think that silly little signs and codes of conduct that say no weapons are going to work, even though they've never worked before. And the latest revelation is, well, the Good Samaritan violated the sacred massacre zone rules of the mall, entirely missing the point that the mass murderer also violated that rule. So, given that the good guy with a gun stopped this crime in progress, anyone want to guess how long this story is going to stick around? You can almost track the coverage in real time on sites like Memorandum, an auto-generated summary of the stories that U.S. political commentators are discussing online right now. Had this been the proper kind of crisis, the coverage would be expanding to no end. As it is, the system picked up on the article on this story, along with a few others. And the nation's socialist media precisely calculate their coverage based on how much they can get political gain out of someone else's pain. That's a very accurate assessment, by the way. And D. Parker says, you can bet they were thrilled that this occurred, the shooting, that is, especially with the sudden appearance of a new generic ban on assault weapons. Now, D. Parker says, we're certainly not going to imply anything, but the Liberty Grabber lobby sure lucked out on the timing of all this. What with everyone talking about the absolute failure of the government to protect everyone, we can sure we sure can see them making a case for turning in our guns so the government can protect us, right? Well, when seconds count, 400 law enforcement, minute, 400 law enforcement officers are only 77 minutes away. Speaking of Uvalde... Alas, the same piece took great pains to knock down any assertions that the anti-liberty left's gun confiscation agenda would result in guns being taken away. Here's a quote from one article. And before the rhetoric really starts to crank up, and it will, here's the Ciceline legislation. The bill does not take guns away from anyone. But it wants to. And it'd like to set the stage for it. So let's not pretend otherwise. Now, this should certainly raise a red flag with everyone because the fascist far left never confiscates guns except when it confiscates guns. But remember, these are the folks who have elevated lying with language to an art form. People who cannot stand the vestiges of liberty, yet they, and sadly many on our side, praise themselves as liberal. Collectivist comrades who want to go back in time to ancient ideas but still claim to be progressive. 
Now, D. Parker says you'll always notice that one of their newest tactics is to use one term to make it seem as though there's always a crisis. Applying what they've learned from the transition from global cooling to global warming to climate change. Coming up with a term that can cover it all and make it appear to be a crisis all the time. No matter what happens, the climate always changes. So they can always take advantage of whatever happens. And in this case, they use this undefined term, gun violence. That way they can apply the term to criminal activity, suicide, mass murder, or whatever. To the point that they can, they, they can even have their infamous gun violence archive referring to its flawed statistics anytime they want to frighten the public. But the fact remains, despite their lies and complaints, guns save far more lives than they take. No amount of obfuscation or lies can change that. There's also an aspect here that I want to point on, and I've, I've been an advocate of this for years, so if I, if I sound like a broken record for saying this, there is no substitute for good training. Now, my understanding is the young man... Uh, Mr. Dickens, who saved the day there in uh, Greenwood, Indiana. He was taught to shoot by his grandfather. And I don't know that his grandfather had him out there running, you know, drills that would make a Navy SEAL dizzy, you know, trying to keep up with it. But whoever taught him, taught him more than just how to pull a gun and start shooting. They taught him how to make decisions under stress. They taught him how to solve the problem before him. And this is something that I would encourage anybody who chooses to own a firearm to to consider doing. Take the best training that you can get. An old sheriff's deputy friend of mine used to say, you can never have too much training. I agree with that. And here's the ironic thing. The more training you have, the less likely it is that you are ever going to have to use your gun simply because you'll be able to recognize trouble before it becomes unavoidable. And I'm a big believer in the old adage of the best gunfight is the one that you happened to avoid. But when it counts, and in this case, this young man was in the right place at the right time where someone was needed to act decisively. He had the mental mindset to to overcome the fear and overcome the stress and to solve the problem quickly and then stick around there and, and administer aid. I guess his girlfriend was, was improvising tourniquets for the people who had, had been shot. And he's helping to guide people out of there. I mean, this, this kid, I shouldn't say kid, he's a 22-year-old man. This young man is a fine example of what, uh, what everybody should aspire to be as a free individual. And I'm not going to minimize the fact, yeah, was it tragic? Well, it, it is tragic. It's tragic that there were several lives lost, three people shot dead, two others wounded. And it's even tragic that this gunman, for whatever demented reason, wanted to take out his frustration on innocent people. It's sad that his, the consequences of his monstrous actions cost him his own life. But I have a really hard time pretending, well, it sure is sad that this 22-year-old was carrying a gun in violation of the signs that said no weapons allowed in that mall, and therefore, you know, it's really a bad thing. I'm going to let the leftists struggle with that one, and they can, they can struggle with it all they want. I think uh, I would go so far as to say what, uh, what we need is we need about a million more men like Mr. Dickon. Oh, and we need mentors. I think we should probably throw a tip of the hat to his grandfather for taking him out there and teaching him responsibility, teaching him how to shoot, 
teaching him how to think under pressure. I don't know. None of us ever thinks we'll find ourselves in a situation like that, but boy, if you did, wouldn't you want that skill at arms? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to invite you to check out lifesavingfood.com. I'm still a believer that uh, people who are regularly and consistently setting aside food storage, rotating through it and and doing the best they can to be as self-sufficient as possible in uh, providing for their own food needs are going to be in a better position should something really weird or unexpected happen. And I've mentioned a couple of times how we've seen, uh, what is it, more than 100 different food processing facilities that uh, have suddenly had fires or explosions or otherwise been taken offline. That's just within the last few months. I'm not suggesting there's a conspiracy at work here. It's just very curious timing, especially when there is already strain on the food supply and there's already, I don't know if you've seen the the video of the long lines of trailers and trucks lining up to sell cattle in uh, Texas. Miles and miles of ranchers selling their cattle. Why? Well, because there's a drought. They can't afford to feed them. And so what we're likely to see is a glut of beef coming on the market, and then it's going to be pretty tough to come by beef, and perhaps pork, and perhaps chicken. I don't know. And then you have this weird story coming out of two cities in Montana where Sam's Club, Costco, and I believe also a Walmart had a mysterious failure in their freezers and ended up having to dump, having to destroy more than 60 tons of meat with no resupply, you know, in, you know, on the horizon. Again, it may just be a really weird coincidence, but stuff like that kind of makes you wonder, wow. What a, what a strange uh, series of events, and, and, and could it be setting us up for something that uh, could, could be real food shortages? I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that people who have some storage to fall back on, they're, they're at least going to have resources they can draw upon. Take from that what you will. Three quick things I want to touch on here in this segment. Um, look, it's no secret that the woke ideology in the classroom is a real thing. As much as people pretend, oh, the CRT, it's not even real. But if it was, it's a good thing and we should be teaching it. Okay. The problem I have is if if kids are taught to hate this country, and I believe that's what a lot of this woke ideology is that has found its way into the classroom. If they are taught to hate this country, we will no longer be the great country that God has so richly blessed. God was kicked out of the classroom a long time ago. But now everything else that came before us, we're being told, has to be rejected. Got a great article I'm including in today's show notes. This is from Ryan Walters from AmericanGreatness.com. And he talks about the radical left's endgame of turning our schools into woke indoctrination factories where kids are incentivized to hate our country. Critical race theory has been injected into classrooms. Men full of testosterone destroy women's sports. The safety and privacy of girls are also being endangered as sexually confused male adolescents use their bathrooms. 
And parents concerned about all these kind of societal changes being forced on them and their children are now being tarred as domestic terrorists by the Justice Department. And in this case, Ryan Walter says, as a history teacher, he says, uh, it's clear to me this is not being done to educate our kids, but rather to alter their perception of reality, to undermine parents, and instill values and morals that promote a perverse ideology. That's not teaching. Not when the Constitution is mocked and the pillars of our society dismissed as antiquated and our kids are told to enlighten themselves by rejecting timeless values and ultimately rejecting reality. Truth is rejected while the emotions and whims of the time are held as truth. So he says, here's what's at stake. If our kids are taught to hate this country, we will no longer be the great country that God has so richly blessed. We will turn into a country whose population has rejected truth for transgender madness and self-hate that's grown so strong there will be no semblance of our founding principles. And the future of America and, in fact, Western civilization hangs on whether we get this right. And so he says we must continue to teach about America's greatness. We must teach about America's exceptionalism because of its embrace of Christianity. We must reject anti-truth and anti-American wokeism. And he says, there's no doubt there's a war for our kids' minds. If we want America to continue to be the greatest country in the history of the world, we must win this war. Now, some people may take exception. And there's a point I would have said, nah, you know, if we're holding up ourselves as exceptional to the point that rules don't apply to us, I want to clarify. I believe that this is an exceptional country in the sense that to the, to the degree that we relied on God as the founding generation did, in their quest to gain their independence from England. We are blessed. We are protected and we are prospered. And I don't think that that's by accident. I, I believe that there is a divine purpose. And I believe this is a blessed, I believe it's a land of promise, if I could just be so bold. But I believe that promise is contingent on us loving, respecting, and following God as opposed to simply doing whatever we please and going out there and, and you know bullying the rest of the world into doing it our way because we're the biggest and therefore the best. So the question I have for you, and I don't have a clear answer here, but how might we teach our children to love what is right and what is great about America? Keeping in mind that for many of these kids, they're getting blasted you know throughout the school day Five days a week, you know, eight hours a day, this is the kind of stuff that's being blasted at them to undermine their faith. What are we doing in the meantime to make sure they have some kind of a foundation to stand on? I, I, I don't get any kind of uh, remuneration here for mentioning this, but my friend Connor Boyack's Tuttle Twins books, I think, are a wonderful place to start teaching kids the fundamental principles of freedom, free markets, etc., and teaching them in a way that's fun and that the little minds can understand. And I do believe this is a better way to go because it's easier to teach them correct principles early on than to try to correct incorrect principles or indoctrination as an adult. And sadly, that's where a lot of us are today. We were taught things all our lives and we believed it. And now to try to relearn or unlearn those things, yeah, it's not very easy. But that's just one resource that I can think of. I'm sure there are other, in fact, if you have suggestions, reach out to me. You can do it through my website, thebrianheidshow.com. You can reach out to contact me, send me a message. 
I'm open to any ideas. I'll share them. I'll give you complete credit for anything you recommend. But it's very clear there are people who are gunning for our kids' minds who want to shift them into thinking that everything that came before us was despicable and has to be discarded. How do we counter that and do it in a way that kids can grow up learning to love the things that deserve to be loved and preserved about this country? Again, I'm not trying to force religion on anybody here, but I think one of the key things has to be the, the divine providence that was a part of this nation's founding. I know for me, that was the turning point. That's where I really got serious about this is why freedom matters. Because it's not just a cool thing and it's a good idea and politically it makes sense. It became important to me the day that I realized this is one of the greatest gifts God has given any of us. And maybe we should treat it with some respect. All right. A couple other quick things to touch on here real quick. Uh, Keep your eyes out for a climate emergency to be declared here as the next wave of power-seeking seeks to surge forward. Apparently, uh, monkeypox, Russia, COVID, none of that is having the desired effect of getting us to cower and ask, well, what else can I give up in terms of my freedoms and natural rights? So uh, the president, acting in uh, in response to congressional inaction, uh, I believe that's how the press is putting this, uh, seeks to impose some kind of authoritarian climate emergency executive orders. The Center for Biological Diversity is 100% behind this. Go figure. You want proof that uh, the environmental movement uh, is is really just harboring Marxism wrapped up in uh, green concerns? Boy, I'll tell you, these are the guys who who I think could could make a real good case for, for that to being the truth. Anyway, beware. Scary stuff is coming. It's hot out, you know. Hottest it's ever been. Maybe. It's also the middle of July, so, you know, what can we say? One final thought here, and this one, I'm not even sure where to go with it, but I am seeing more and more articles about how America's armed forces are seeing fewer and fewer people willing to enlist. Now, granted, following 9-11, seems like there was a huge surge in people enlisting and doing their part, and it was good, and it was respectable for people to be part of the armed forces. But wokeness and PC indoctrination... It seems to have really shifted a lot of people's attitudes. You know, with, uh, with uh, some very real concerns like poking a nuclear bear and, you know, trying to uh, pick a fight with China on the horizon. I don't know. Should we be surprised that these 17-year-olds who normally would be enlisting, people from rural areas, raised, you know, with uh, hard work and with, uh, you know, a foot in reality... They might not be so eager to join the purple-haired, transgendered uh, armed forces that are currently uh, being created all around us. Hmm. This is The Brian Hyde Show.